We sure did have a good time in Bible school. Pastor Bob was talking about being reminded. I, I remember when I was in Bible school as a kid, it went two weeks in the morning from like 9 to 12 or something. And uh, so if you worked in Bible school and you think you're tired, talk to Grandma. She'll tell you how tired they really were after two weeks of that. But we used to make like shoe shine boxes and birdhouses, you know, big things. But we had two weeks to do it, so it was a lot of fun. But man, it was a great, 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 great week. Uh, and, and we don't start uh, thanking all the workers because we would leave somebody out. But I'm telling you, uh, the, the folks that worked in Bible school this uh, past week did an uh, unbelievably outstanding job from top to bottom. It went great. It was, uh, everything was so good. So uh, if you missed it, you really missed it. But next year's coming. And uh, no telling what kind of surprise we'll have next year. You may open your Bibles to Genesis 12. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage and uh, at, at some point in my life of ministry, I became convinced that I ought to preach through Bible books, not just come up with a different sermon topic each week. And uh, at, during that process, or in that process of figuring that out, um, one reason I want to do that is this is how God gave it to us, through a book. We, we so often want to get a topic and then find a bunch of verses that fit that topic, and there is some legitimacy to that, and sometimes that's what we need to do. Uh, but we ought to see those verses in their context, even when we're doing that, to make sure we're getting the proper meaning. You can take something out of context and make it mean something else. Watch the news anytime you want to, and they do it all the time. Uh, and so, the, so sometimes pastors or preachers, uh, people that want to make a point out of the Bible, they will rip it out of context, make it, try to make it say something it doesn't say. So in doing that, then, as I began to do that, uh, because I think it's helpful to you and your spiritual growth to see the whole context of a, of a book, but in doing that, you hit special days, like today, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, it's like Mother's Day, only the presents cost less. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, it, uh, and, and so my wife would say, are you going to preach a special Father's Day sermon? And, and I, I realized, uh, nope. <laughs> uh, because church isn't about Father's Day or Mother's Day or uh, other things. Did you know that our denomination published a calendar? Every week is a different emphasis week. I mean, you could do this constantly. You wouldn't even have to try to write sermons. You know, what, well, that, well, we're going to celebrate taking up the offering week. You know, whatever it is. Uh, so, so I just kind of got away from that. But... Uh, it's so cool how God always, it seems to apply when we come to that thing. And today, it's like unbelievable. It's Father's Day, and we come to a day when Father Abraham messed it up, okay? And so we're going to try to learn from his, what he didn't do right. And uh, I want to be encouraging. We're going to try to learn from Abraham. But at the same time, I want, to, I want you to really look inside yourself and, and uh, ask God to help you. I, I think the church today, especially in, in North America, is very good at churchianity, but we're not so great at Christianity. We're not so great at following Christ as we are at, we, as we are at doing church. And, uh, and, and sometimes we don't remember that those things are not the same. They, they can be different. They shouldn't be different, but so many times they are different. And, uh, and, and the cool thing about Christianity is you can go into any culture that ever has been or ever will be and you can bring Christianity into it, and that culture can have Christianity in it. There are religious movements in the past 
that take the bad things out of culture and just try to add them in. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is you don't have to be a certain race of people, a certain country, a certain uh, um, culture of people for, for the message of Christ to be not, uh, for it to be alien to that culture. Because you can bring in, because the gospel is transformational of culture. The things that are, we have things in our culture that are not biblical and we shouldn't celebrate them or, or we should get rid of them. Uh, and, and yet there are some good things in our culture that can fit into what God's doing. But the gospel is for every man and God gave it to us such a way that it fits everywhere. And so when we look at the gospel, we see today and we look at this passage where Abraham messed up, we see how God would want us to live in our culture as men, as fathers uh, in, in our culture today. And so I call this today a man's responsibility. And it's a man's responsibility to his wife, his family, and, and uh, just to God himself. And so if you, if you will, if you'll stand up with me. Y'all haven't stood up enough today, right? Uh, stand up with me in Genesis 12. We'll begin in verse 10. And it's, it's kind of short, going to 13.1. And I'm just going to read it to us. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave, the men, gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that your word does not make men look like uh, they're perfect or like superheroes, but rather we see the, the failures of, of those who went before us so that we might learn from them and we might uh, follow you more closely. Lord, we thank you for Abram, the man of faith, who trusted you, believed you, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And we pray that today we will learn lessons from his life. God, open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, I know not everybody in here, not all the men in here are fathers. And, uh, and, and, but maybe you're going to be one day and that you need to be paying attention for that reason. Uh, but I, I want to give you something to, not to encourage you. I don't want you to take it too far, but I want you to take it far enough. And that is this, no father has ever been perfect except God the Father. All right? So, since the Bible in five words is I'm God and you're not, take a little bit of courage and encouragement from uh, I'm going to mess up. I don't mean you excuse messing up. You shouldn't mess up. You don't want to mess up. You want to do right. But the reality is, if you're here today, even if you were raised in a home that honored God, a home like mine, that, that song we sang, we saw that plaque over our fireplace 
Every day of our life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My sister visited me a few weeks ago, and she brought me a plaque of that that my mom had in her house. When we were kids, it was a plastic one, and that got all torn up. But this was one my mom got because she wanted to keep that up in her home. And so my sister brought it and gave it to me. Uh, and so even growing up in a home like that, because my dad's not perfect, because he was fallen uh, creature just like all other men are, there are holes in my life. Guess what? I've got three children. There are holes in their life that I created. But here's the good, uh, the good thing you need to know. God is capable of filling up the holes in our life. That's what the gospel is all about, that we're not perfect. We need Christ. We need God. We've got issues. We've got problems. We've got needs in our life. And God the Father comes in and he makes us complete in Christ. I, I don't know if you understand this, but the word in, in the uh, New Testament that we read perfect is translated perfect is a, a Greek word that has a sense of complete. You could say for God makes you complete. That is, there's something missing and God completes us, makes us whole in Christ. There's a, there's a, a lack, a need. We become whole in Christ. And so if we believe the gospel, we ought to trust the gospel. We ought to go back to the gospel over and over and over again and trust God to fix things. We see Abraham failing to do that. In fact, he goes against even what we call him, this, this Abraham who's an example of faith. He acts faithlessly. He acts in a way not according to faith. So here's what I want you to take home with you today, especially the men. What a man does affects today and generations to come. What Abram did affected him that day, but it also affected his children, his grandchildren to come. So I'm going to jump in here so we can get to that. In the first part of this, we see that there is a planned lie. In other words, Abram planned a lie. Let's get the context as we get into it. In verse 10, a famine comes into the land. He's up in the Middle East. He's up in, the, uh, in Canaan. And a famine occurs. And, they, and he says, let's go down to Egypt. Because in Egypt, there's an area that it will grow crops almost all the time. Now, we know when Joseph comes around, there's seven years of famine. Even in Egypt, it was a, it was a widespread famine. And God had prepared Joseph to take care of that so that his people would survive. But... There was a famine there in the Middle East. So Abram goes down to Egypt to sojourn there, to spend some time there. For the famine is severe in the land. And as he's about to enter Egypt, he says to his wife, I know you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Y'all know how old Sarah was here, Sarai? Her name changes to Sarah, so I always keep interchanging. You know how old she was? 65. She's 65. You think that's amazing? Abraham repeats this this wrong when she's 90 now if you look at the whole context she lived to be 126 or 7 I forget which so she's middle-aged but take hope ladies she was 65 and this isn't just Abram's perspective she was a babe okay that's just all there is to it she's a she's a pretty woman and so he says but when the Egyptians see you they're going to say wow that's his wife let's kill Abram and take her for ourselves that's that's the upshot of what he's saying. And they're going to let you live. And he says, so say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. So Abram decides to lie. And there's several things here that, that you got to see. One is, first of all, was Sarah his sister? Yeah, she was 
the daughter of his father, but just not the daughter of his mother. She's his half-sister. So he's telling the truth, but not the whole truth. And a half-truth is a whole lie. Because his intention in telling a half-truth was to deceive. His intention in saying she's my sister was to deceive someone else. Even though it was true, he didn't give the full story. And, and so I want you to see that. I also want you to see when you go to mess up, you're going to take somebody with you. And we'll see that a little bit more later on. You will take someone into your sin with you, especially your family, because God has anointed you to lead your family as a man, as a, as a father, and as a husband. Because Abram's not a father yet. Uh, don't forget that, even though it's Father's Day, he's going to be the father of all the faithful eventually. But I want you to just answer this in your mind, and I ask you to answer it out loud. What is the opposite or the enemy of faith? Now, I don't know about you, if you ask me that question, the first thing that I would probably pop out with is lack of faith or unfaithfulness or not to believe. But the opposite of faith is not unfaithfulness. The opposite of faith is fear. The enemy of faith is fear. And that is how Abraham is acting. Abram is acting out of fear for his own life. And we're going to see in a moment a bunch of unintended consequences. But Abram is afraid to tell the truth. Now, here's why that is so odd and so wrong. We all have fear. Anybody here never had fear? Okay, now you're a liar, so you got your own problems, all right? So everybody's been afraid at some point in their life, to some degree of, of something. It's just true. Uh, some people are afraid of things that we, we don't even realize. They may be uh, afraid uh, of... of of being alone. They may be afraid of crowds. Uh, I, I'm not real fond of heights. Those, those really mess me up my head. I've overcome them several times to do things that, you know, probably shouldn't do. I don't know. But, but, but I, if, if I can help it, I'm going to stay on terra firma because the more firma, the less terra, right? Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of how I follow. Because it doesn't matter if it's five feet up or 5,000 feet up, it's high, okay? I don't want to do it. But so we all have these kind of fears. Those are really more phobias than fears, but, but we have fear. But why should Abram not have been afraid? The answer is very simple, and it applies to your life and mine today. What had God promised Abram? He would be the father of many nations. He would have a son with Sarah. Therefore, God's going to keep you alive at least until you get your first baby with Sarah. So what is there to be afraid of? I'm going to use a word that is, when I say the word, it sounds negative. I'm going to add, I didn't, I don't usually say what I did in the first service, but I failed to add a second word to it. I'm going to add the second word and it'll help in a minute. I'll get to the second word. But the word I want to use is reckless. When you know God has a plan for you, your life and you know what that plan is, especially, not everybody gets to know the detail Abraham knew. You're going to have a baby with her one day. Well, she's 65, and he's, he's uh, what, 70 or 75 at this point. And he's afraid to do the right thing because I'm afraid I'm going to die. You're not going to die, man. God has told you you're going to have a baby with her. God doesn't lie. He is incapable of lying. He's told you the truth. So you could live a reckless life. But the word I want to add to the word reckless is abandoned. You can live a life of reckless abandon on God and you don't have to worry about this side.
Because the worst thing we think could ever happen to us is death. And death is actually the best thing that can ever happen to us. And so, why should we fear? The psalmist writes that, why should I fear? What man will do to me? God is our refuge. God is our fortress. God is our strength. Now, I say that, I, I, I want you not to lose sight of this. Because in North America, you hear that differently and you should hear it. What you hear is, oh good, God's always going to take care of me. I'm never going to have problems and I'll have to be afraid. No, you're going to be afraid. There's stuff you ought to be afraid of. But you can trust God that he's going to work it out his way and his will. And you will be able to get through it. You will be able to endure it. Even if Abram had been right, which he wasn't, God would have still worked it out for him in a way that he could have gotten through that, no matter what had happened to him, so that he and Sarah could have a baby, because God said, that's my plan, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, I said that applies to you, because who do you belong to? And what has he promised you? You belong to the Lord. What has he promised you? He's promised you an everlasting life. Which means if you were to die physically, you're never going to die spiritually. You will live with him forever. And one day he says, I'll even raise your body up and make it like mine and reunite Jesus' body. And reunite your body and soul and you'll live forever with the Lord that way. So we can live a life of reckless abandon. Because here's a little dirty secret. Nobody gets out of here alive. You're going to die anyway. And some of the old warriors, it's better to die facing your enemy than running from him. That was how they thought. Come home on your shield or victorious, basically. So Abram loses that sense of reckless abandon on God because they might kill me over my wife. Well, that's a planned lie. He planned to sin and then there are powerful consequences. And I'm going to tell you, there's a problem in this. These consequences I don't get. I'll come back around to it later and explain what I think it is. That just looks unattractive, I know. But I'm sorry, my th I'm very dry today. But I, I will show you that that doesn't make sense. But I'll show you why it makes sense later. First of all, they, they get there. And I want you to see there's these powerful consequences and the first consequence is Pharaoh gets cursed for this. God starts giving Pharaoh plagues. Now it's going to happen again with Joseph, I mean with Moses much later on, right? But, but here's a foreshadowing of it. Abram, because of Abram, plagues come on Egypt and come on Pharaoh. It says, so Pharaoh goes, oh wow, she's, she's really beautiful. And all the guys go, yeah, yeah, you ought to see this girl, man. Abram's sister, Abram's sister. And so Pharaoh makes Abram rich. He gives him a bunch of stuff and takes Sarah. Sarah doesn't say anything. Abram doesn't say anything. So Sarah follows him in this lie, at least there. We don't see in the text how the Pharaoh figured out she was his wife. But here's the hint. It says uh, down in verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Sarah, Abram's a hint to Pharaoh. Now, I don't know what happened. In my brain, it could have been a, a, a several things. He could have said, hey, guys, man, nothing's going right. What's different about today? And they might have said, well, you know, they started after you brought Sarah in here. And so he might have said, Get her, bring her in here and gone, what is the deal here? And she went, well, since you're asking, I'm actually his wife. And they went, Oh, but we don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody went and investigated and found out. I don't know. 
But notice Pharaoh's reaction to, um, to Abram. Says, it says there that he, he goes to Abram and says, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Here's what Abram didn't count on. All Abram could see was his fear that I'm going to die because of you. Because you're just so beautiful. He put his wife in danger. Isn't it your job to take the bullet for your wife? In the phrase that we use. Isn't it your job to step in front of her and protect her? What a wimpy dude to hide behind the skirts of his wife. No, man, you man up. That's your job. And Pharaoh yells at him and tells him that basically. Man, why did you do that? Obviously, Pharaoh would have done him no harm. Would have gone, wow, God blessed you. You got a beautiful wife. Because there doesn't seem to be any animosity other than, why did you lie to me? He made Abram rich. And in an interesting, he didn't ask for that back. He didn't say, you lied to me, give me all that stuff back and get out of here. He just said, get out of here. He let him keep it. Again, I'll come back. That's what I don't understand, but I'll come back to that in a minute. So here's the other unintended consequence I want you to catch. This is passed on to his kids. Isaac does the exact same thing. Obviously, Rebecca was also a pretty girl. These guys were obviously marrying pretty girls. I don't know why, but God bless them. At least in their day to those people. And so Isaac does the same thing. He gets afraid and he lies about that being his wife. And he says, say you're my sister. Which they were cousins, but they weren't sisters. Sister and brother. Jacob lies to Isaac to get the blessing. And then his father-in-law lies to him. And then he deceives his father-in-law. In fact, the name Jacob, y'all know what it means, right? Deceiver. And then Jacob's sons lie to him about Joseph. They lied and said, oh, he, obviously an animal killed him or something because we found his coat and it's all covered in blood, so he must be dead. This sin of lying is passed on and on and on. So sometimes when you say, well, it's no big deal, it might be. You say, well, my kids are doomed. No, they're not. You know what is missing in this text? Abram repenting. Nowhere in there does it say he's sorry. Nowhere in there does he say to God, Oh God, I messed up. I, I, I was wrong. Nowhere in there does he say to Sarah, I'm sorry I put you in harm's way. I shouldn't have done that. He doesn't say to Pharaoh, You're right, I was just scared that you were going to take her and kill me. I apologize. Nothing. He gets yelled at, takes her back, and leaves. I believe that each one of us has the power to break the chain of sin that you inherited from your dad. That whatever it is, and it, and it may just be a tendency to something or whatever. I, I, listen, I can look back at my family and if it's a sin in the Bible, we got it there somewhere, okay? And so that might be where you are like, well, I don't even know what it is. Well, that's fine. But here's the deal. When you are tempted, when you do find something that is really hindering you and and is after you, and, and even if you don't give into it, you can repent of it from your family, from your ancestors. God, 
this isn't from you, and so I don't want it. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. I've never had that problem. I've never had that particular problem. I've got plenty of problems, but that wasn't one of them. But nowhere does, do we see Abram repenting of this sin. And in those last couple of verses, uh, uh, he says, just take your wife and go. And so Pharaoh gave orders to his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Here's the other un, uh, unintended consequence. He couldn't stay, stay there anymore. He had to leave. And, and he probably didn't expect that to happen either. But he has to leave. And to the point that Pharaoh says, you guys make sure they get to the border. You help. He ordered his men to help them leave. And so they packed up everything and they left. But I, I mentioned something earlier I said I'd come back to. And that is, why would God let Pharaoh bless Abram, make him richer? Because he's probably already rich. That's probably why Pharaoh went, hey, this guy is a rich guy and he can help us out. And he's trying to be nice and friendly with him. Hey, I'll take your sister off your hands. No problem for me. Here's some stuff for her. But now he gives the wife back and he lets him keep the stuff and goes. You say, that's not fair. You're right. But I want you to understand something. You being saved is not fair either. It's not fair at all. It's very unfair to God. Because God is the Pharaoh in this, giving the sinner a blessing. And then sending him away, blessed. Even though he messed up. Say, how does that relate to Christianity? It relates to Christianity because you messed up. And God gave you salvation anyway. He gave you forgiveness anyway. Why did Pharaoh bless Abram? Well, if you go back to the very first couple of verses. Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So that you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. Pharaoh's household being cursed was because they took Sarah. Say, but he was innocent. He didn't know. He didn't ask. Well, too bad. God kept his promise to Abram no matter what somebody else did. Say, man, that, I've got trouble with that. That's what happened. You see, God gives you stuff you don't deserve because you don't deserve anything but hell. Right? None of us deserve heaven. We all deserve hell. And it is unfair to God that we get to go to heaven. But God accepted that unfairness on himself. When he said that men were lost and he made the rule, you sin, you die, and they sinned, and we all should die. He said, I pay the price myself. And he put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he paid the price so you can go to heaven. Now, I say that to emphasize a couple of things. Number one, you ought to be grateful. My goodness, the first words out of your mouth every morning ought to be, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And the last words out of your mouth before you go to bed, I'll be, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And all day long, you'll be going, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Because you don't deserve to, not, to get to know God as Father, to know Him intimately. He is a creator God just in all He does. And He could wipe you out. He could have wiped us out. He could do that if He wanted to and be right. But instead, He took a different route and Jesus came and died for us. Now, if you want to really get into it, you read in Scripture... Before they created the world, they knew that. And that was the plan. Because God is God and he knows all things. And the Bible states, Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. 
He says to Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I knew you. God knows the future perfectly. And the, here's the application I want you to take. It's an encouragement. Because my, my dad was raised in a denominational belief that you could be saved and lose your salvation. Now that denomination also believed, but then you could get it back, I guess, if you did better or something. I don't know exactly. So I don't want to talk about their theology. I just want to tell, let you know that theology is wrong. And it's wrong on the basis of what the Bible says. The Bible says that Christ died once for sin. There's no second forgiveness of sin. When Jesus died for my sin, he did not forgive my sins up to when I was eight years old when I made a public profession of faith in him. He forgave me all my sins from the time of conception to the time of my death. They're all forgiven already right now. And if I do sin, God brings discipline in my life so that I will turn back to him in repentance and say, Lord, I belong to you and I have violated your, your will for my life and I'm sorry, will you just, I'll repent of that. I don't want to do that anymore because it's already forgiven. I come to him on the basis as of a father, not as of a judge. Ju he is judged for those who are lost. He's father to those who are saved. But he will not leave you in your sin. Paul says, what, should we sin more that grace can abound more? He said, no, not at all. That's not salvation. God's grace is not only to save you, it's to make you like Jesus Christ. And Jesus never intentionally sinned, right? And so the encouragement there is this. God has already brought all the pressure on himself. He's already been unfair to himself to save you. And in Romans, Paul says that when you were still sinners, Christ died for you. How much more now that you are the elect, now that you are saved, will he not pour out what you need at your time of need? And I don't want you to forget that there are brothers and sisters in this world today that are suffering because they believe in Christ. Don't think that God just wants to make you happy all the time. He wants to make you holy. And there are some that struggle right now with the threat of death. And yet they bravely go on. And I don't want you to ever forget them. Because in our North American culture, we again, we think, oh, well, God just wants to make me blessed. Well, you're blessed to know him. And until that's enough, nothing else is going to be enough. Until knowing Christ is enough for you, then whatever he adds to that will never be enough. You'll always want more and more and more. But when we're, we're content with Christ and that we have an intimate relationship with him, he, that's enough. And we don't need anything else. And so we know then that God has blessed us and God will take care of us. And so back to the illustration of Abram, we can live with reckless abandon. Because when this life is over, I'm going to heaven. When this life is done, no matter what is happening to me right now, as bad as it'll look, God's got a purpose. God has an answer in that for me. Something he's doing in my life to make me look more like Jesus. Well, how can we apply all of this? First of all, don't fear, trust God. Do not fear, trust God. Now, I mean that word fear in a negative sense. The Bible tells us to fear God. That's a positive sense. That we have so much honor and respect for God. We are awed by God so much that we do whatever he... We, we, we want to know him and we're his children. And we don't fear him though he's an awful and terrible and mighty God. But all of that is in our Father. 
And we can appreciate him as our father and that he has the power to take care of us. He has the power to bring our best to us. And he will take care of us. So don't fear in your life, but rather abandon yourself on God with recklessness. And then secondly, lead your family to do rightly, especially if you're a man. Some of you ladies have to be the head of the household uh, because you don't, your, your husband is gone from tragedy or or. or however it's happened lead your family to do rightly trust God let him take care of you but then lastly the reason that this sin got passed on to Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's boys is because there was no repentance there was no confession and remember that unrepented unconfessed sin can affect generations can affect generations When a believer is faced with sin, he repents. Look at David. Saul, the king Saul, is faced with his sin, and he continues in it. He makes excuses. He doesn't take ownership of his wrongdoing. Remember, Saul was told, you wait. Samuel said, you wait till I get back, and then we'll sacrifice to God. Saul said, man, he's late. I better do it. And he does it. He disobeyed God. And when when Samuel gets to Saul, he says, what did you do? And he said, well, you were late, so I sacrificed. And he said, does God have delight in sacrifice as much as he does in obedience? He said, to disobey is like the sin of witchcraft, but God demands obedience above sacrifice. In other words, you can't pay your way out. And sometimes to do a right religious thing is the wrong thing to do because it's not what God told you to do. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? You see, we should be abandoned on God, on Christ. I said we're better at doing church than we are at doing Christ. We're better to do our rituals. Yep, went to church, read my Bible, gave my money, prayed. I did all the cool things you're supposed to do, so I must be okay. But you don't even have a relationship with Christ. You don't know him as your brother. You don't know God as your father. You don't walk with him. You don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need more than you need church. Say, man, you're going to tell all of us we don't have to come. No, I want you here. I'm glad you're here. But I'm just saying there are people who go to church all the time that don't know Christ. I have a I had a cousin, he's, he's dead now, but he claimed to know Christ, but, and he was going to our church for a while, and he quit, he wasn't there. I was very, very young, and uh, he, when I say, he was a big dude, he's about 6'3", 300 pounds, chief of police, big guy. And I said, hey, Mickey, when are you going to come back to church? He said, I won't go to church full of hypocrites. I said, yeah, but I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than go to hell with all of them. Don't be the hypocrite, man. You're going to mess up? Sure, you're going to mess up. Repent, confess, turn to the right. Like David, when David was, this is what you did. David said, you're right, and he repented. Saul said, oh, well, you know, the people forced me. You were late. This this problem, that problem. Saul, all he ever did was make excuses. To be a man is to own up to what you did. Let me just share one thing. Not real personal story, but a personal story with you. The most manly thing you can do is admit when you messed up. 
It's just one one of the most manly things you can do. Before I was ever even married, if I met or ran into a preacher's kid, I would ask him two questions. Would you please tell me the thing you like the most about being a preacher's kid and the thing you hated the most about being a preacher's kid? And I remember one particular young lady, and I don't remember anything except her answer to the second thing. I don't even remember the context. I don't remember what she said she hated, but she said, I said, what do you like the best? And she said, my dad did this, and it was something he did wrong towards her. And I forget what it was, and it doesn't matter. But she said, but I was in my room, and he came and knocked on the door, and he came in, and he said, I wronged you. I did wrong. Will you forgive me? She said, I would follow my father as far as it goes because he was a man humble before God. Friend, you want to lead your family, start by getting off your high horse, (laughs) which takes a manning up to do. Admit where you're a failure and say, Christ, you're the only perfect one. Make me look like you. Let me follow you. Let me be in you. Because... We cannot lead out of arrogance. We lead out of humility. And Abram, in fear, went away from being the man of faith and he became a man of fear in this moment. Did God work it out? Of course God worked it out according to God's purposes. But that doesn't let Abram off the hook. He should have repented. He should have apologized. He should have gotten it right with his wife, with Pharaoh, with God. And then with himself as well. So I'm just sharing with you today. In this instance, don't be like Abram. But when you're faced with, wow, I messed up because of this, this, or this. But I did it. I chose to do it. Own it. Confess it. And let God change your life. Father, we thank you. In fact, we thank you that we are incapable of doing any good on our own. As the songwriter said it. And so, Lord, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that we can never be proud of ourselves because we didn't do anything. If we did anything good, it was by the power of the Spirit in us put there because of the death of you, Lord Jesus, on a cross and your acceptance of us into the family of God that you saved us and gave us the Spirit to empower us to do right. And, Father, at your will, these things have been done. And so, Lord, if there's any good in our life, it is because of the work of the Trinity in us. So, Lord, may we not be proud of ourselves, but may we also, Lord, obey you with courage and with strength. Again, not depending on our own strength to do it, because we don't have it, but depending on your strength placed in us to do it. Lord Jesus, we see that you went all the way to the cross, even though you saw the horror and the physical suffering that it would take. But you did it because you were obedient to the will of the Father. And that being obedient even to that death, he raised you from the dead and gave you a name above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we thank you that we can confess you now. And I pray for the men in this building especially. Whether they be fathers or going to be fathers, Lord, that you would right now encourage them and change their life. Lord, for the, for the guys like me whose children are raised and, and now we want to influence our grandchildren for good, God, let us know that whatever we've done wrong in the past, we can repent and forsake it and do better now. 
That is the message of the gospel. That when we trust you and believe you, you will accomplish the work in our life. And you said your purpose for us would be that we were formed into the image of Christ. So, Lord, make us like you. And may we be willing participants in that. Lord, may we replace our fear with faith, knowing that you love us and that the love of God causes us to uh, be able to obey, knowing that you love us beyond all things. And you would never do anything that would ultimately hurt us. But even in our pain, we know that there is, there is a, a joy coming, a purpose go- coming. As you said about Christ in, in Hebrews 12, 1, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising that shame, and is set down now at the right hand of the Father. So, Lord, may we see the end in sight that you want to make us like Christ and take us home to be in heaven with you at the end. And may we run with patience the race set before us and be like Christ, enduring the shame, enduring the difficulty, and come out victorious in the end because we look to you as our leader. In Jesus' name, amen. Dad's the greatest thing you can do is follow Christ. Second greatest thing you can do is love your kid's mom. And so I pray you go out there today and do both those things.